Growing up, um, every Lent, my mother would make us watch the Ten Commandments, you know, the, the old one, Cecil B. DeMille, Charlton Heston. Some of you maybe saw that in the theater. Um, <laughs> just trying to make as many enemies as possible. Um, you know, so the old one, the old one. And uh, so a lot of my, my youth and my imagery, you know, of, of, of these stories, you know, they come from what you see, obviously. It's, uh, you, you, you know, see, you see a particular movie about these events and it tends to stick with you. But what I'd like to do is take us back to some of those events. So we remember that the Jews are in Egypt, they're in slavery, right? And remember how the story goes, uh, God calls Moses to be the one to deliver his people from slavery, and he's got to pers persuade Pharaoh to let my people go, right? And so God sends ten plagues, and you know, for the first nine, Pharaoh is not, not convinced. But the last one is going to be the one that ultimately convinces Pharaoh that he's dealing with a power greater than himself. And remember what God said to Moses, and of course what Moses told the Israelites, that God would visit Egypt and kill every firstborn male in the land. But if the Israelites were to be spared from this punishment, they had to eat a particular meal, right? If the angel of death, as it were, or, or, you know, the angel of God were to pass over their house, they had to take a one-year-old lamb who was spotless, a perfect lamb, and they had to sacrifice the lamb, they had to kill it, then they had to eat it, and then they had to take the, the lamb's blood and put it on the doorpost of their house. And then God would pass over them. They would be spared from death through the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb, through the consumption of that lamb, and through the, the shedding of, it, of its blood. Okay? And so the Israelites did this, and of course they were spared, they were passed over. And then Pharaoh realized, okay, this, this power is greater than me. He, he lets the Israelites go. And Moses delivers them ultimately into the promised land. Now, for some 1,500 years, every year, the Israelites would celebrate this Passover. And they would commemorate this Passover with the meal over and over and over. The Lord said, not only will you celebrate it the one time, you will celebrate it every single year to remember how you were spared and delivered through the, com the consumption of this unblemished lamb and through the shedding of its blood. And so they did, over and over and over. And just like, just like ourselves, you, we, we remember the meaning of holidays, right? We, we celebrate Easter every single year. And we know that Easter is about the resurrection of Christ. We remember these things. Or, you know, maybe something not particular, particularly religious, we celebrate Thanksgiving, right? And, and obviously the name itself implies the celebration. But we remember 
our founding fathers, or even before our founding fathers, those who discovered the United States, right, and that celebration. Uh, we remember Christmas. You know, Christmas was the day that the Grinch invaded Hooland. <laughs> so, so we commemorate these holidays over and over and over and over, and we remember it sticks with us, even though we've been doing them for some of them for centuries. Same thing with Passover. So the Lord, the Lord God told the Israelites, keep celebrating this because I want you to remember something very important about what I did for you and about how it was accomplished. Okay, this perfect lamb whose blood is shed and this lamb who is consumed. All right, now let's skip ahead. We'll skip ahead to John the Baptist. Remember that John the Baptist, when he saw the Lord, when he saw Jesus walking by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is not incidental that John the Baptist is calling Jesus the Lamb of God. All right? We skip ahead a little bit further. And, and this comes from John chapter 6, uh, what's referred to as the Bread of Life discourse, right? where Jesus is telling his disciples and then all of those who are, who are with him, not just his apostles, but the extended disciples. There are many with him. And he says, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have life within you. And we're told that some of the Jews murmured and they said, How can he give us his, his body to eat? His very flesh. How's this going to work? Which is kind of the reaction that I think a lot of people have upon first hearing what we believe the Eucharist is, that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Catholics believe that, you know, the bread and the wine are changed, substantially changed into the very presence of Christ. And then they consume Christ. I think when people hear that, they say, well, what the, what the heck is going on there? One of those strange... You know, the, in the early church, uh, the, the Christians were accused of cannibalism because they clearly taught in the early church that they were consuming the body and blood of Christ. And those who were not Catholic just presumed that they must have been referring to some kind of cannibalism. So it's, it perhaps strikes us as odd. How can Jesus, just like it's, it struck the Israelites at the time, some of the Jews odd and strange, that Jesus would be telling them, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, imagine, I said that, right? And you might say, well, there's enough to go around, but <laughs> if, I said, <laughs> if I said to you, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd be thinking, what in the world? We need a new one, you know? <laughs> Bishop, this one just isn't working out. Because it sounds strange, right? If you put it in that kind of context, you think, well, that's really strange. And that's how many of the Jews reacted. And Jesus had an opportunity to recant and say something like, no, 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 it's symbolic. You know, don't, don't misunderstand me, right? But he didn't. He said, unless you feed on me, you will not have life. He who eats, he says it over, I think five times, he reiterates Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life with you near. And the majority of them left. And the reason they left wasn't because they, they, uh, 
they understood him speaking symbolically. They, they understood him to be speaking literally in some way. And he wasn't backing down. And they couldn't take it. This is, this is too strange. This is too odd. This is too hard. And many no longer walked with him. And then he turned to his disciples, turns to the twelve, and he says, do you also want to go? Now they've, they trust Jesus, right? Because they've been with him for a number of years. They trust him. And so if he says this is going to happen, clearly they don't understand how it's going to happen. But they trust him. That if he says it can happen, all right, we'll, we'll worry about that later. But they say to him, Lord, who, to whom should we go? You, you are the Christ. We, we have come to believe in you. So we move ahead a little bit further. And remember, on the night before he died, he celebrates what with his disciples? Passover. He's celebrating Passover with his disciples. Something that had been celebrated for 1,500 years, pretty much the same way, and something all of them had celebrated the same all of the the years that they had lived. And so he's celebrating Passover with his disciples, but then he does something different. He takes the bread, he blesses it, and then he says to his disciples, take this and eat it, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And we have to think that the apostles at that moment said, oh, okay, now it makes sense. That's how you're going to do it. That's how we're going to consume your body. And then he takes the cup filled with wine, and again, he blesses it and says, this is my blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Oh, I get it. Okay, so... When you were telling us before that we were to eat your flesh and drink your blood, this is how it's going to work. This is what he meant. He's tying it to Passover, which made perfect sense. Because if Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, what was that original lamb or all those original spotless lambs at Passover? The same thing. Through the killing of the lamb, the shedding of his blood, and the consumption, the eating of the lamb, God spared them from death. It was through that celebration they found salvation in the promised land. And so Jesus ties what he's doing. He brings the Passover to its ultimate fulfillment. And so the Eucharist for us is salvation. It is Jesus Christ himself who saves us from death and who ultimately brings us to the, promise, the true promised land of heaven. Right? Just, like, just like the Jews, or similarly, the Jews were brought into their promised land, so we will be brought into our true home. It's almost like, it's almost as if God knew what he was doing. <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. I think we question, do you, do you really know what you're doing? But in this regard, it's as if he planned it from the very beginning. And so, you know, we could, certainly we struggle. I think this is one of the things that Catholics can struggle with. How could that be? How could that wafer and that wine turn into the body and blood of Jesus? When I was in seminary, I uh, studied at a Benedictine Archabbey. And they made their own hosts, and they made their own wine. And it was awful. 
we had a saying that it was easier to believe that the bread had turned into the bread and wine had turned into Christ's body and blood that it was actually than that it was actually bread and wine in the first place because it was unrecognized it was almost completely unpalatable to drink it it can be difficult you know how does Jesus do it how does he do it he does it through through the priest through the action of the priest it's actually Jesus himself who makes present his sacrifice on Calvary at this altar this day it's Jesus who does it. Yeah, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, confession. And, and why do I got to tell a priest? Why well, got to tell another guy who's just as much of a schmuck as I am? It's true. Because it's not about him. It's about Jesus. Jesus chooses to work through certain people in many, many different ways, not just priests. And so Jesus works through the priest to make present the same sacrifice on Calvary, not a new sacrifice, the same sacrifice, Jesus being God, Jesus being divine, whatever he did has an eternal value and echoes in eternity. So his sacrifice on Calvary is made present also in eternity because he is God. And so that same sacrifice is made present here. Now, we could go through all of the, the philosophical reasons how to explain how this happens. But I think ultimately, it comes down to whether we trust Jesus. Do we trust him? Like, like the 12, they said, we trust you. If you say you have a way to make this happen, you're God. We trust you. You wouldn't lie to us. You wouldn't deceive us. And so, too, we can trust Jesus. He's not deceiving us. He gives us the most precious thing he can give us, his very self, so that we can receive within our very beings God's divinity. Please stand.